All right. <clears throat> hey, Nate. Good morning. How are you doing, church? Good. Are you ready to go? All right. Here we go. Hey, I am excited to start a brand new series today. I'm excited to jump into this. For the next couple of weeks, we have a series we're jumping into called Easter People. And we're going through the Easter story and we're approaching a different person every week or a different story and looking at how they interacted with the Easter story or post-Easter, but somehow their story ties to Easter. We spent the last five or six weeks just really doing this deep dive into love and love you right? Yeah, we looked at all these things about how it's an adjective for God's people, it's a verb, it's a way of life, it's the very definition for who God is, right? Yes, but we've spent like five or six weeks on it, and that's a long time. I think we've really, really, really got the point. So I'm excited today to move on. You ready? Okay, the title of today's sermon is, Peter, do you love me? All right, here we go. If you would, turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. We're going to be jumping in today to a series to a man named Peter. And before we get going with Peter's story and the Easter story, I want to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of uh, knowing who he is, a little bit of his bio, okay? And so we're going to just do a little bit of our time today just going into who Peter is and why he matters and understanding the context of Peter. So the very first thing you need to know about Peter is that Peter isn't Peter's name. It's what? Simon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus meets Simon, and he immediately changes his name. And we're going to get to that, why he changes it in just a second. But secondly, Peter's occupation was what? Yeah, he was a fisherman. Mark 1, 16 through 18 tells us that that day, Andrew and Simon were out fishing, and Jesus meets them. And we get the famous line of what? I'll make you fishers of? Yeah, you guys know this. Why am I even preaching this? This is silly. And so we find out that this is the call to evangelism over Peter's life. You've taken up fishing, but I'm going to not just make you a fish of the physical. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to go out and call people into the church. You're going to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. You're going to learn how to become a fisher of people, to win people to the kingdom of God. And so we see that Jesus takes his normal uh, secular occupation and transforms it into the spiritual and the supernatural. And it's a learning process. I will teach you. And so it tells us that in, the interesting thing about this is that fishermen were like one of the lowest totem pole on the scale of careers. It wasn't seen as a high-value job. It was seen as kind of an everyday workman, grunge, kind of hard-working, hard-living, out in the elements, really uh, uh, um, due to whatever you were able to bring in. It was a hard-living. But Jesus goes to this person that they would not have thought they would call to be an apprentice. They says, follow me. And Jesus was in the habit of doing this, going to the tax collectors and people that you would not think 
that the Messiah would call in to be his inner circle. But he goes and he calls Peter into discipleship with him. And so I want to read you a passage in Matthew 16, 13 through 20, because it really sets the trajectory of where we're going today's sermon. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But Matthew 16, 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. This is an interesting piece of scripture we have here into looking into Peter's character and understanding the type of person he was. Jesus was going around and he was going around and doing miracles and teaching in the synagogues, but he was an interesting subject to study. Nobody believed that he was the son of God. They were like, oh, wow, he just healed that guy. Or, oh, wow, he just preached something we've never understood. Or, oh, wow, isn't this just a carpenter? Where is he getting this knowledge? But they were seeing those things and observing those things, and they were sitting back and saying, prove it. And so you get a key piece of information on who Peter was because Peter follows his feelings. Peter follows his heart. He'd been walking with Jesus long enough to say, I've seen it. And I believe it, even if nobody else does. And this is the characteristic I love about Peter. Peter didn't write a lot of the New Testament, didn't write a lot of the Bible. He was a person, though, who's talked about a ton in the New Testament. Because he was always out and doing. This is the guy that literally tried to walk on water. This is the guy that carried around a sword and at the first signs of danger, whips it out and cuts off some guy's ear. This is the guy that just jumps in full-heartedly, not knowing what's going to happen. But if he senses it's truth, or he senses that he should do it, or feels like it's the right thing, he just jumps in. And he's willing to make mistakes. And so this key piece right here, it says, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the son of God. Before it was popular. Before he had risen from the dead. Before he had proven his godship. He believes in Jesus. And so this key piece of information, though, right here is that you are the rock upon I will build my church is the calling of Peter. Jesus teaches him how to evangelize us, but he calls him to be the foundation layer that he's going to establish his new church upon. It's Peter. And Peter does that. He proves that. In Galatians 2, Paul calls Peter one of the pillars of the church. In the first 10, 11 chapters of Acts, Peter is going around establishing the new church. In Acts 8, we see him that he takes uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to fall on the Samaritans. Acts 10, he starts evangelizing and prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit over a Gentile family. And eventually, he follows Jesus so well and so meaningfully and so precisely that he's martyred for Jesus' sake. All the way to the end. For all of these reasons, Peter is often referred to 
as the ideal or the role model Christian. The kind of person we should be trying to exemplify or live our lives like. Because he doesn't have to wait for a sign. He doesn't have to wait for his head to catch up intellectually. He knows in his heart and his spirit that Jesus has revealed truth and he jumps in and he follows him. Peter is my favorite disciple. He's the one that I can relate to the most out of all of the apostles because he gets a lot of stuff wrong. He tries it, though. He gets in and he tries it. And I love that Peter tries. I love that Peter takes a step of faith, gets it wrong, and then gets up and keeps going. That's the type of person who Peter was. And we don't know this from the text, but Peter's the one that I can imagine the most in my head. I imagine that he's just this loud and big and strong guy. I just imagine that he lives well and he laughs a lot and he's just willing. He's kind of obnoxious. He's kind of that person that's just always loud. Like, you know who I'm talking about. Like, they do not have a silence like button. They don't have an inside voice. They weren't born with that. They're just always loud. I believe that Peter probably carries that type of persona with him. He's just into it, man. He's just, whatever it is, let's go. Let's either do it or don't do it, but let's get after it. And I love that he doesn't waste a lot of time in his head or thinking through things, but he just follows his heart. He follows Jesus, and he deals with the fallout. Whether he made it good or whether it's bad, he jumps in and he follows Jesus. He doesn't have a promise of where it's going to end. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he just gets up and he follows Jesus. So today, that's the Peter, the apostle disciple, Simon Peter, the rock that Jesus is going to build his church upon, the foundation layer that he's going to build an establishment upon. This is the man that we're jumping into as our Easter person for today. Let's take a second. Let's just pray, invite God's spirit in before we get to our Easter text. Lord, we're just so thankful to be in your house today. Thank you, God, for your people gathered here together today in person and online. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to dive into your word and to learn about one of your apostles, Peter. God, I pray that we would study him well, that we would preach truth, Father, and that your word would penetrate our hearts, Father. Guide this conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading in a couple different places and take Peter's story and the Easter story in a couple, couple different key moments. And we're reading out of a, different, a couple different of the Gospels for various reasons, but we're going to start with Matthew 26, 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. And so this is right after the Passover dinner and Jesus and all the foot washing and all the stuff that's just happened. And so they're on their way from dinner to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And so verse 31 picks up the story. It says, on the way... Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you... You deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the disciples vowed the same thing. The very first thing that I want to point out here is that this is classic, 
classic Peter. He's just like so confident that he's not going to fail. He's like, no way. He's like, no way. There's no, there's no realm of possibility. Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, every, you're like, I've seen you do all these miracles. You're wrong. Like, no, you've totally got me pegged wrong. There's no way that this will happen. He's so confident hanging out with the guys. He's like, all his buddies are there. They've just had this great big meal. They've drank the wine. They were laying down. It's a cool night. They're on a walk. There's no sign of trouble yet. In comfort and confidence, he just says, there's no way I will ever do that. There's no way that that would ever be me. I would never. I think we've probably felt that before. We felt that, that in comfort, we get really confident. That, that would never happen to me. Like, I, I would never, ever do that. That couldn't possibly happen to me. And not only does he feel confident about it, he's also a little boastful about it. Listen, Jesus, like, I would never do that. But, you know, these other disciples, like John, definitely, Judas, probably Judas. He's a stinker. But, like, those guys will definitely turn their backs on you. So even if everybody else does it, I would never do that. And so you see this little bit of, little bit of pride in Peter. We see a little bit of boasting and confidence in his own strength. He's just so adamant that he would never, ever, ever be the person that Jesus is saying, you have this potential inside of you, Peter. You have the opportunity for failure. You're going to have an opportunity where it's going to be hard and you're going to make the wrong choice. Peter's adamant. I can relate to Peter's claim. Like, I get that feeling of saying, I would never. I would never. If you told, if you just transported me back to my 18, 19-year-old self and said, you know what, someday you're going to be a dad. And when you hang out with your friends, you're just going to talk about things like sleep schedules and how to sleep change and the trials and perils of trying to plan a two-year-old's baby party. And I would be like, I would never. I would never do that. Way too cool. But transport me back a couple weeks ago playing darts in my kitchen with a buddy we're talking about how to get their baby to sleep. Yeah, we did this. And have you tried sleep training this way? Or a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the pool in the middle of January with my buddy in Florida. And we're talking about trying to plan a baby's first birthday. I would never. I would never. How many times have you ever had the opportunity where you said, I would never. And then it becomes a reality. How many times in your life have you ever said something, I would never. That could never be me. And then it happens. And this is the moment that Peter gets that, I would never. But this is the guy that literally got out of a boat and tried to walk on water. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. Now, I don't, do you, did, you ever, did you ever hear that story as a kid? I can visibly, I can feel it right now, the Stoffel's Pond. It was a nice little beach. All the farmers had ponds. And back in the day, they used to use it in case their barns got on fire and they would throw water on it. So they'd build these big pools and ponds and stuff. And so they had this little beach put in. I remember Alex Travolo, fastest kid I knew, me and him just standing right there, trying to run as fast as we could to try to see how many steps we could get on the water. Alex said he could do two. I never saw it. He said it happened when I wasn't there. I don't believe him. But this is a kind of Peter that, that, like, this is, he literally tried to walk on water. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's really, really hard. 
like I can tell you from experience. But that's the kind of confidence he had. The guy that's willing to step out of a boat to try to walk and follow Jesus says, Jesus, I cannot imagine a scenario in life where I would betray you. I cannot, after three years of walking with you, of sacrificing everything I have, giving up my livelihood just to follow you and learn from you, I would never, ever deny you. I would never, ever do that. And I believe that Peter, in his comfort and in his confidence and in front of other people, in the pride of his own strength, he really, really believed that he would never fail the Lord like that. Man, but I've felt that before in my life. I've had that before, that thought of I would never. And then the next opportunity I have, the next weak moment I have, that sin comes out. I wonder how many of us right now are thinking about the worst times, the lowest times in our life, and thought I would never. And then sin has an opportunity to become a reality. Jesus knew the hearts. A little bit earlier in John 2, verse 23, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people, many began to trust him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Last week we talked about the heart. The hard thing about the heart is that in our flesh and in our spirit right now, we wage this battle with our humanity. We've been born with an inheritance of sin, something that you have to get past. You know, I surprisingly wasn't born with very tall parents. The genetics I got are the genetics I have. I've had to deal with it. And so I've had to learn how to go about life being the tallest person in my family. That's a hard claim when you're only like five foot eight, okay? To be the guy that always has to have the top bunk. My wife, this is my wife in college, she's five foot one and three quarters. Her freshman year, she got three roommates that were all five foot one inch. And because Amy was the tallest, she got all of the tallest things. So she got the top bunk and the top shelves and all of the things on top. But you just learn how to deal. You just learn how to do life and keep going on. And so we're born with this sin nature inside of us. And so you're born with tendencies, maybe to addiction or pornography or whatever, some kind of vice. You're going to be born with something that you're going to have a taste for and naturally gravitate to. As our kids are getting older, we're learning about them. We're learning that they definitely have a sin nature. And we're learning the things that they gravitate towards or the things that just naturally, the sin inheritance that they got at birth. We're learning how to walk them through that. And so Jesus is saying, I know what's in your heart. I know that you have a desire to be perfect. I know you have a desire to serve me. I know that in your comfort, you would never, ever do that. But I know what's in your heart. I know the possibility there, John, Peter. If you take just a second right now, I wonder if you could just have a moment with the Holy Spirit of what's your I would never moment? What moment for you was your I would never ever do that? And then our deceitful and wicked and hard hearts had an opportunity 
for them never to become a reality. John 18, 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was well acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate. She let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Let's get forward a couple of verses to verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it again, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive garden, with olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus understood what's possible in our broken heart. He understood that as we sit here in the flesh and we still have this inheritance of sin that we battle with every single day, he understood that our weaknesses. He knew before that Peter got to it that Peter would come to this moment and everything on the walk would be just washed right out of his head. He knew that all the boasting and all the pride and all the, I, can, I would never, ever, ever fail you like that. Jesus, even if everybody else would do this, I wouldn't do that. He knew that in the moment, he would make a decision that he would deeply regret. And I think that we probably can relate to that too. That in the moment, we make a snap decision that we did not mean to do than we did not want to do. I wonder how many of us, if you think back to a moment where you made a decision that you deeply regret, I bet you didn't wake up that morning hoping to do that, hoping to be that type of father or person. I bet you woke up and I bet you maybe even had this thought, if I could just go back and do it again, if I could just have five more minutes to think about it, if I had just waited five minutes at home before I left the house, if I had just not responded in anger, none of this would happen. I wonder what kind of regret Peter feels after that. In the account that Luke tells, it says that as soon as Peter denied him the third time, the Lord turned and faced him. It's so easy to get caught up in the moment of things. When you feel like life is spinning out of control and you feel like you don't know what to do or you feel your morals failing, it's so easy to make a decision to do something wrong because it seems easier, it feels safer, it feels like you're going to protect yourself or fill yourself or you feel just so out of it that you feel like it's going to give you something you're looking for. But as soon as it's done, how many know that as soon as it's done, you're faced with the reality that you made a wrong decision? It's really hard to think about that encounter in Luke. As soon as he denied him the third time, Jesus stood and faced him. Can you imagine as soon as he said, I don't know him, turning and seeing Jesus walking across the courtyard, beaten and broken already, and looking and catching his eye. And all of a sudden, all of those claims come back. I would never do that. Everybody else would, but I would never. And Peter, so broken and so sad and so full of guilt, turned and ran away. And did and fulfilled exactly what Jesus said you would do. 
left him at his most needy moment, the moment where he was his weakest, his hardest moment yet, all that loved Jesus left him. I think we probably all have these moments where the worst possible version of ourselves is given the opportunity to become a reality and you just simply cannot take it back. I wonder if Peter slept at all that night. I don't know about you, but I know that after I've made a I would never statement and it becomes true, I'm racked with guilt, I'm racked with shame, and I just sit there in my bed till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just think of, how could you do that? I've had those moments of weakness in my life where I was the father I didn't want to be or the husband I didn't want to be or the person I didn't want to be, and I was just sat there, racked with guilt and shame and just replaying the scenario over and over and over again. We're given private information on Peter. Unless God called me, I'd never want to just come up here and just dish out my darkest, worst parts of my life. But we're given access to Peter's greatest failure, arguably his greatest failure. Because there's something that Jesus wants to teach us out of this. I hope you feel like he's relatable. The person that was one of Jesus' closest companions in his earthly ministry, the one he walked the closest with, did the most ministry with, had all the conversations and the leadership lessons and opportunities to see things that nobody else ever saw, left him on the night of need. Wasn't there for him when he needed him most. I hope that you're starting to be able to relate to Peter's story. I know I can. I know that conversation that Peter is having with himself saying, you're just a fraud. You're just a dumb fisherman. People just cared about you because you walked with Jesus, thought you could do it. You've proved them wrong. You've proved Jesus wrong. You've, you've proved everybody else right. You can't do it. You're not gifted enough. You're not strong enough. You're not, you're not able to do what you thought you could. I've had those late night conversations just replaying over and over and over again. Real fun message today, right, church? All right, have a good week. No, I'm just kidding. This is where it gets good. <clears throat> if you would go ahead and turn to John 21, we're going to pick up Jesus' third encounter with Peter. As I was thinking, this message came about the easiest message I've written in a while. John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. So here's Peter. Just a little bit, a short time has passed since his Savior has passed away. Jesus has risen. He's made a couple guest appearances, but he's not had a chance to really interact with Jesus. He's not had a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. And so here we're on the opportunity, the verge. I believe that Peter's probably still living out of his failure. 
I think that Peter's probably still living out of that fresh resentment, that fresh sin right in his head. Man, you really screwed this up. Man, what did Jesus say? I wonder if when Jesus appeared before, if Peter tried to just kind of fold into the background and say, John, no, 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 you go. You go talk to Jesus. I'll, I'll catch him later. I'll catch him later. And so he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. I think we've probably felt that call before. When you mess up or you just don't know what to do, you just go back to what you know. You go back to what's normal. Find me here. You can, I'm just going to go. I just got to go work with my hands. I get out there. And so what's really entertaining to me about this whole scenario is that he goes back to what he knows. He just, oh, man, I really need a day off. I just need to get outside. I need to be underneath the, in the wind. And I need to be outside in the elements. And I just need to hear the creak of the boat and the water lapping. I just need to go fishing. And he catches nothing. Because I know I've had that day. Man, it's been a really long season. I just need a break. I just need a Sabbath. I just need to go into this. And that's inevitably when all of my kids get sick. Or the car breaks. Or somebody needs something. Or there's a something emergency. And you go into that thing you thought's going to give you rest. The thing that you thought's going to fulfill you. The thing that you thought that you could just uh, get life from. And nothing happens. So that's Peter. He goes back to fishing. And he catches nothing all night. I believe... Scripture doesn't say it, but I believe not even a nibble. I'm believing the same worm every single night. Like, man, won't something take this? Just let me put a new worm on. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. I bet it was very solid. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped it for work, jumped in the water, and headed to the shore. This is classic Peter again. This is classic Peter. Because verse 8 says, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they're only about 100 yards away. But Peter... Just so excited. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He thinks, I'm going to put my shirt on, jump into the water, and then start going as fast as I can to get to Jesus. I wonder if he even beat the boat. They're only 100 meters away. But in his excitement, he just gets in because he has to get there as fast as he can. I remember as a 7 or 8-year-old, I was going to visit my friend's their dad lived in the country, and then they were building a new house. And so we were at the building site, and they just put the basement in. And so he was going around cleaning up the basement to do, start laying the foundation the next day. I remember being there for, it felt like five hours. It was probably 15 minutes. But as a seven-year-old, incredibly bored, it's cold, I decided, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm just leaving. And so I just got up. I didn't say anything to my friend or the dad. I just started walking. And I started walking through the fields. And I didn't even know west, east, north, or south. I still don't. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to start walking because I'm sure I'll make it home. And they caught me like half a mile away being like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I just got to go, man. And here's Peter. Here's Peter. He's been fishing all night. And he sees Jesus. And it doesn't make sense. But he's like, man, give me my shoe. Let me you just put it on. And he jumps in the water because he has to get to Jesus as fast as possible. Verse 9, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. 
There were three, 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I love that Jesus fulfills the physical before he starts pushing into the heart of Peter here. It's a warm fire, it's a cold night, and he has food and bread ready for them. And so maybe you're beaten or broken or a little bit battered. Just know that there's a comfort in Jesus. He's not just going to pull you out and say, I'm already stretched, I'm already worn. There's this healing factor when we come to the Lord. When we come to the Spirit, there's a healing factor that he wants to restore you and make you whole before directly commissioning you. He cares about you as a whole person, not just what you can do for the church. So after breakfast, Jesus begins to speak to Peter. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's a little bit of a callback. Remember when Peter said, I will never leave you, even if everybody else does. And so, Peter, so, John, so Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replies, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Peter te Jesus tells him. So what you need to know here is that the Greek has four versions of love. Right, Justin? Yes. There's agape. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Which is the unconditional, unfailing love of God. God is agape love. So he's saying, Peter, do you love me wholeheartedly? Nothing holding you back. And Peter responds, Lord, I phileo you. Which means, in our uh, better understanding, is I like you or I'm fond of you. It is a conditional love. It's saying I'm not there yet. I don't agape you. I phileo you. And so we don't know this, but I believe that this is Peter, that he's in his emotional state. He's saying, Jesus, do you remember what just happened? I really like you. I'm really fond of you. I didn't want to do what I did, but I think I've proved I don't agape you. I like you. And so Jesus responds, feed my lambs. And so what I love about this church is that Jesus, remember what he said? Why did he change his name to Rock? Because you're the church, that's the foundation I built my church on. Peter, there's young Christians out there. Peter, there's young new believers out there. Go feed the babies. Peter. Prove your love by going and loving others. Go and feed the new church. And so he takes him and he says, I understand you fully owe me, but go and feed them. There's baby Christians out there, Peter, and they need to be fed. Verse 16, Jesus repeats this question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I fully owe you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Again, the question is asked. And we get this question three times. I believe it's because he had the opportunity to deny Jesus three times. I believe it's, he meets him the third time because he denied Jesus the third time. And so the first and the second occasion, Jesus doesn't have this interaction with him. But on the third time, on the beach, on the shore, Jesus takes care of his physical needs. And then he starts pulling into the emotional and the physical needs that Peter needs help with. Son of John, 
Do you agape me? Yes, Peter. Yes, Peter said. You know I phileo you. The call changes. Take care of my sheep. And so the switch here is that at first Jesus was teaching Peter how to be an evangelist. I'll become fishers of men. And then he fills his net with all of these fish beyond capacity. But Jesus is using this moment to define and clarify Peter's calling. You're not just an evangelist, Peter. You're actually my pastor. You're going to go and you're going to pastor the church. You're going to feed them. You're going to nourish them. You're going to take care of them. They're going to be scared. It's going to be hard. But guess what? You have a moment right now. It didn't disqualify you. I'm actually clarifying your calling, Peter. I'm still going to use you. You didn't mess up enough that I'm taking you out of the kingdom of God. You still have a calling on your life, Peter. And so he says, go and take care of my sheep. Verse 17. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's the final and the third time that Jesus asked this question. But Jesus changes his tone here. He actually says, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter, do you even like me? Peter, are you actually fond of me? And Peter, in his desperation, reaches beyond himself and he reaches into God's godhood. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know where my heart is. You know how much I have to offer. All I have right now is phileo. I like you. What's beautiful about this is that right after this, Jesus goes into this long call about how Peter's going to be martyred. People, you're going to go where you, can't, where you don't want to go. People are going to stretch your arms out. He calls out Peter's martyrdom. And what's beautiful about this is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to move you from phileo to agape, Peter. And so Peter proves that time and time again, over the opportunity in the course of uh, loving people, he moves from Aleo to Agape because it's unconditional love. In the end of Peter's life, he's crucified just like Jesus, except that he's flipped upside down because he just felt he was not worthy enough to be crucified the same way as Jesus. So his dying request was, can you spin me upside down? I don't want to be crucified the same way that my Savior went. And he proves that he's able to move from a phileo. I just like you. I like this Christian life. I like the benefits of the Bible. I like the idea of having this comforting presence in my life. I, I like it. I don't know if I'm willing to give everything I have to follow it. And so Peter moves from phileo to agape. And how does he do it? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. And feed the sheep. Remember a few weeks ago we learned that the invisible relationship with, with God that we have is expressed in the visible relationship we have laterally. And so he says, you're going to have an opportunity to prove this, Peter. You're going to have an opportunity to practice this, Peter. And it's going to look physical. It's going to be in your relationships with the people around you. Can you go and begin to pastor this church, Peter? And so Peter has the opportunity to move from phileo to agape. What I like about this very end, this 17, this very last time, Jesus, you know everything, is that a lot of us get stuck in our failure. One preacher said it this way, is that we think that failure is forever. 
We think that the, that worst thing that we did, or that thing that even though I knew it and I know I shouldn't, and I, I've been a Christian for a while, but you know what, I gave up, and we backslid, or I made a bad decision, or I went back to that same poke or that same prick, or I went back to that same little bit of sip or whatever it was for you, you went back to it, and you think you're disqualified now. Jesus, you, you don't understand. I've, I've failed too much now. Like the other things were little sins, but this is a big one. I've not just wrecked my own life. I've wrecked people around me, the people I care for. I've made a really, really bad decision, God. This is really, really, there's a lot of bad consequences. But at Peter's worst, Jesus meets him and recommissions him. Because it's not about his falling, it's about his calling. Okay, church, it's not about the worst thing he ever did, but it's about the calling that Jesus put on his life beyond Peter himself. He's saying, I'm changing your name from Simon. I'm putting your name as Peter. You're going to be my rock, the foundation I build the church on. And even your own failure doesn't disqualify you from it. Jesus in his godhood gives the calling to Peter. Church, you have a calling today. Your worst failure does not disqualify you from the life that Jesus has put on you. We all have potential I hate that word because I hear it all the time. Man, that guy has potential. This church has potential. This pastor has potential. This team has potential. And it seems like people fail their potential a lot more than living into it. But you have potential. But you have a choice. You have opportunity to live into what God's calling you to do, but you have opportunity to work it out. Peter, will you phileo me? Will you agape me? Do you even? Then go do the work I've called you to. Put your hand to the pot and get to it. Go feed them. Go take care of them. Go get to it. You have opportunity today, church. Your failure did not plateau you. Jesus reestablishes Peter into the original calling, into the original commission for him to pick up and get back to work. Peter, I don't need you out here fishing. I need you to go and raise this church I just established. Peter, what are you doing here on this shore? All your work you did last night, you got nothing. And in a second, I gave you everything. I filled the net just like that. Peter, get up and get back to work. I want to point out one other thing. Pastor Levi Lusco preached on this, and it was just such an amazing point. I need to bring it to your attention. Before I do that, I need to talk to you about chocolate Axe body spray. <clears throat> when I was 19 and I was away at college, uh, actually it was my gap year Bible program, I went to Mississippi for a year and I worked with this organization to plant a ministry at this boarding school. I ran their camp center, I ran their, uh, I ran their uh, uh, event center, so they had summer camp and they'd bring retreats and I would organize those and commission that and I work with students and all this stuff, it was a great time. But during that time, I had no money. And uh, I found this dented can of Axe body spray. The flavor was chocolate. I can still see like the gold picture in my head. And uh, I found it on sale for like 90 cents or something. And so at that time, I was like, this is cheaper than the normal stuff I buy. I'm going to get this. And so can I tell you that every time I would smell that spray, 
because those act body sprays last for like eight years. Like they just, unless you're going to like duct tape it and throw it in a cabin of boys, like it just, just go, it just goes forever. And so that every time I smelled it, my mind, I was transported right back to Mississippi. Like I could see the trees, I could feel the sun, like I could think, like I, I start getting my like Mississippi twang back, like it just all comes right back because of the olfactory nerve where you link a memory or a situation with a smell. John 18, 18, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them warming himself. John 21, 9, when they got there, they found brave breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. What a weird detail to add to Scripture. Why, why would he add that? Why would that be there? Was it because that Jesus was trying to take every sense, every opportunity, that maybe if Peter smelled a charcoal fire, it's different than a wood fire? If Jesus, every time that Peter, that memory comes back of his worst failing, was Jesus trying to replace it with a reminder of his commissioning? Maybe some of you right now have an opportunity right now that the Holy Spirit wants to come and supernaturally take your greatest failure. Take that time where you weren't the person you wanted to be and that you stayed up regretting it again and again. Take that feeling of not being called and not being worthy and not able to do what you think that God's given you. Jesus, you know everything. Surely you know I love you. He wants to replace that memory with an opportunity for you to walk back into your calling. Can I just pray over you right now before we even finish the sermon? Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray, God, that any person struggling right now, God, that's stuck in their failure, God, that's stuck in their floundering, God, that's stuck in the things that they've done, God, will get past that moment. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you'd be imparting into minds and hearts, God, supernaturally, Father God. Remind us, God, of our calling. God, would you start bringing back the words that other people have told to us? Would you start bringing back the whisperings that we've been feeling but can't possibly believe that we could do it? Lord, I pray that you would start swapping out those negative memories. Replacing them, God, with the opportunity to live into our potential. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love this time where Jesus is almost like Mufasa, like Peter, remember who you are. Like, remember your calling. Remember all the walks we had and all of the things I've told you. Remember everything that's come up to this moment. You are not disqualified. Your failure has not plateaued you. You still have a calling. You still have potential. You still have, you're still the same rock that I want to build my church on, Peter. Now get over it. You're forgiven. Get moving. Let's go, Peter. And the same call is to us today, church. The call of Jesus has always been and always will be the same. Do you love me? Then follow me. We pick up drop what we're doing, and follow Jesus. Right after this, 
Jesus tells Peter all of the ways he's going to get martyred. But he says, then Jesus told him, follow me. Brings him right back to that moment where he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. And they drop their nets and they follow him. On that seashore, Peter, follow me. Drop your fish, drop your nets, come on. Get back to it. And I'm believing, church, today that there's somebody in here that needs to know you need to get back to it. Your failure doesn't define you. It's not forever. Your calling is still there. Get back to it.